edition of With All Due Respect. Strong opinions on politics, life, and entertainment. Welcome to another episode of With All Due Respect. I am your host, Andrew Halcrow. With me as always is my main man, my co-pilot, Van Sanders. As always, we'd like to thank the Anchorage Daily News for hosting our podcast on their website and remind listeners that the very strong opinions you hear on this podcast are ours and are alone and in no way, shape, or form represent the opinions of the Anchorage Daily News or their employees. On today's episode, a panel discussion about the recent allegations that continue to flow out of City Hall. Joining us today will be Christopher Constant, the vice chair of the Anchorage Assembly, and our regular political contributor, former Anchorage Mayor Ethan Berkowitz. So let's talk some politics. politics. And now for some politics. In our politics segment this episode, we are joined by former Anchorage Mayor Ethan Berkowitz, our regular partner on our politics segment, and Vice Chair of the Anchorage Assembly, Christopher Constant. Now, over the last seven to ten days, it's almost been a daily occurrence that something, some controversy has flowed out of City Hall. Uh, last Over the last 48 hours, the city attorney has, acting city attorney has resigned, and the Assembly has executed subpoena power on an investigation into the Joe Gerace hiring. Uh, joining us now, as I said, Ethan Berkowitz, former Anchorage mayor, and Chris Constant, who is currently the vice chair of the Anchorage Assembly. Chris, uh, there's a lot to unpack here, right? I mean, just every day you pick up the, the newspaper. Every morning I go to my porch and I open the door and I pick up my printed copy of the Anchorage Daily News and I unfold it. And every single day, it appears, above the fold on the front page is some kind of controversy uh, spilling out of City Hall. Now, a lot to unpack. Let's start with the latest first. Two nights ago, the Anchorage Assembly issued subpoenas into the investigation of the hiring of Joe Gerace. Uh, let's start there. Can you talk to us about what, why that was necessary and, and what are you looking for? Yeah, absolutely. So the chair did, in fact, issue a subpoena that subpoenaed both Mr. Shabaka and the the Gerace report that they touted as being comprehensive and detailed to make sure this never happens again. And why it was necessary is that, you know, the chair and myself had communicated with the administration. We have records going as far back as August and September of 2022, asking for very important information like, what personnel files did he have a hand in making records in, as in people who were fired by the executive? We want to make sure he didn't abuse anybody through that um, bureaucratic process so that people who left their employment can go forward and not be marked when someone calls to ask if they're eligible for rehire or other mm -hmm. factors that might come up in an employee interview process. And then also we asked for details on what contracts he issued or signed or authorized or to whom they were granted and in what scale were they done properly? Because we want to understand who did he give money to and grants as well, a similar process. And so we have and continue to have lots of questions. And I can say after the fact, we sat through this process 
Um, there's a robust conversation behind the scenes in an executive session, which is, of course, by its very nature, until otherwise, confidential. And um, I don't think anybody was satisfied with what was presented uh, for a number of reasons. And so at the end of the executive session at the meeting on Tuesday, the assembly moved to uh, release the tapes. And by a vote of seven to four, it was authorized. But then yesterday, I, with Ms. Zalatel, uh, made a motion to reconsider. Uh, we had some legal advice that suggested that we should give them one more chance to release the documents. And if they don't, then it might be smarter for us to go to court and ask the judge to review and grant us the authority to release the records, as opposed to us authorizing the release and then us getting sued by the administration to stop the release of the records, then that court proceeding would be effectively on their grounds. And so on the 7th of February, we'll take the question back up because the reconsideration is on the table. Should the item be reconsidered, then we will proceed to um, get the records that we need. Now, uh, our listeners will know that you know the story behind Joe Gerace. He was hired as the, the city's health director. Uh, turns out most of his resume was fabricated. He had no experience in those areas that he claimed to. So in in this investigation into the hiring of Joe Gerace and the documentation, it seems to me that the administration, if they had the best interest of the city at heart, they would want to get to the bottom of this as well. If Mayor Bronson genuinely concer was concerned about the city and how City Hall hires important executives, it seems to me instead of having to go to court or subpoena documents, the administration should be right there at the table with you saying, okay, this is where the hole was. This is where we need to fix it. This is what we're doing moving forward. But again, it seems you know, this, this raises this whole question about where is Bronson's allegiance? Is it to the city or is it to his cronies? You know, I, I think those questions that you just posed have been answered in public session through some memos and uh, through our various work sessions. They have said there were holes. No mayor previously since Sullivan at least had conducted any substantial review of their um, executive appointees. And then they said, this is what we're doing now and they're doing it. So uh, those questions I think have been fairly answered, but that isn't really, I think the most important question. The most important question is what harm did Mayor Bronson's appointee in charge of the health department during a pandemic do to the people and the processes and the FISC while he was sitting in that seat, while we were browbeaten to confirm him with false information. And so I think that the answers have been made. What What is the process? And they're very, very good at looking back and pointing fingers at who before them were the problem. And so that's, I think, resolved. Um, it's there, someone else's fault. That's the answer. There, there's an ancillary question that, that people need to ponder, too, which is why can't Bronson get good people to work for him? Why can't he get anyone to work for him? And sometimes it's a reflection of not wanting to work in an administration because they don't feel like it's a productive work environment. Some people, it's the the, the pay and benefit package. Um, but I think it is very telling that Dave Bronson cannot find people to work for him. That is those who are peering closely at his administration voting with a decision to not get involved. And that says more about him and his administration than nearly anything I can think of. 
So well, and I think there. Okay, I think that, yes, work environment, pan package, but I think that the thread that I'm starting to hear is people are afraid if they associate their reputations with this debacle, then they will be unemployable going forward. I have but this, this, pre, this predates the, the, the debacle. I mean, look at who he – he didn't really have a choice when he, uh, when he made these hires. He didn't have uh, a, an abundance of talent to choose from. And that's, again, that says that people with talent didn't want to be associated with this administration. Absolutely. Again, I think that's the finer point, though. I don't think it's, it has to do necessarily with the work environment unless you mean under the directorship of the mayor or the pay, because that was consistent with every mayor before. Anyone who comes to work for the Muni who's a professional is doing it out of service because while the pay is okay, it's not like you would get in the private industry for similar work. So it really has to do with association more than anything, I think. No one wants to be associated with this. Even if you go back to August, he did manage to pull some folks from the Sullivan administration who had some credibility, but that credibility now is in many cases. Well, but but there's a little bit more to hiring, you know, old geezers. You know, old geezers can sometimes be looking for uh, extra time to to ramp up their benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, they could already be on retirement. And so that's a that's a, a, a different hiring process. Uh, when you hire the old timers, than when you're hiring sort of folks in the prime of their work workforce. Absolutely. It also, when you, when you're hiring those, it, it also conveys a certain lack of imagination in that that's who you're reaching for. You're, you're reaching for people who've held the levers before instead of trying to find a new talent pool. And have as a manager, what you're always looking for is what's the succession plan. You know who's going to do this job next uh, and. If if you're just hiring folks that have been doing it twenty and thirty years ago, that's not a succession plan. Yeah, I don't well, and I would as a manager. It's all of us, anybody in service. The first job once you get in is to start figuring out what happens when you leave. Well, and I think this conversation is is punctuated, uh, you know, very vividly with a photo that Chris that you posted last night on social media during the assembly meeting where there were the mayor and the acting city manager. Those were the only two people up on the dais where normally there are seven or eight people, including the city attorney, uh, the directors of public works and in economic development. So normally there is a whole suite of people up there on that dais. And last night there was simply the mayor and his acting city manager. And then the mayor left about an hour later, from what I understand. And, And I think that photo punctuates the, 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 this mayor in, in his inability to attract good people and run the city. I mean, that was just a stunning photo. The, right. the empty chairs. It's, yeah. I feel it's yeah. iconic of this moment that we're in. It just, it's, it's one of those memories that I will always have. And, and I want to say Kent Colhis deserves a lot of credit for stepping forward and, and uh, providing service to the city. And it, what, what he's doing is indicative of, the career professionals who are making sure that the city is running as best it can in spite of the lack of real leadership out of uh, the elected officials from in city hall uh, in the administration. Um, Because if you do not have an administration going to bat for the municipality who's going to bat for the people that are providing the services, then it compromises the ability of those professionals to deliver those services. Absolutely. And you know, I think each and every one of us on the body has said at some point to the 
folks who are committed to seeing this through and keeping the wheels on the bus, thank you. It's, it's easy to be upset with the operation of the administration. And then it's easy as well to have your emotions and your frustrations come out on those people who are actually showing up. But um, it's important to recognize those are the heroes of the story. And uh, they're in place of those who aren't showing up. And I think it's it, you know it's really important to 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 point out the reality of of these dual conversations, right? Because on one hand, we on this podcast deal with politics. We're always talking about the political nature of things. But at the end of the day, the municipality of Anchorage still has to run. And the city is being run by employees who show up every day and grind it out and care about what they do. Because on the eighth floor, you've got most officers are either vacant or they're acting uh, in, in acting capacities. And so the reality is when you look at the city and the operations of the city now, it's the it's the employees. It's the mid-level managers, the employees that are actually running things and making things happen because there's absolutely no direction from the eighth floor. Well, they, they need to know that the administration has their back and isn't going to stick a knife in it. Right. And so, Chris, let's let's talk about last week. You, you held a couple of unprecedented meetings to to rein in the mayor's procurement and in some other areas that, you know, these allegations from Amy Domboski has touched on and, and raised concerns about. Uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, the two meetings. These were unprecedented meetings. You restricted some of the mayor's uh, authority. I know today he put out a press release. So talk to me about about why the assembly did that and the mayor's response. So first I'll say that what we did was we restricted some of the authority the assembly has granted the mayor. It's not inherent authority. It's it's nothing to do with the charter granted rights that he has. Uh, it, it's all to do with confirmations of board members. It's to do with the powers of the ombudsman, and it's to do with the power of the purse, the issuance of contracts, and expenditure of money. Uh, m- most folks won't remember, but when this guy right here was the mayor, we changed the code to move the procurement authority for RFPs were $150,000 to $500,000 without assembly approval just by uh, a spreadsheet table uploaded in our agenda. And that worked fine through two mayors. But then what started to happen here is we're suddenly getting contracts issued and amended before the assembly ever saw anything to the tune of millions of dollars and work had commenced. And um, we were told by certain members of the administration behind the scenes that that was, in particular, Mr. Bosky, even before she left, that those decisions were made consciously because they figured once we get started with construction, there's no way the assembly would stop us, ask for forgiveness, not permission. Well, they, they learned something. that Enough of a pattern of asking for forgiveness means the assembly has to take the reins and hold the purse tight. And so what we did is a 60-day narrow restriction of contracts. Nothing can be issued over $10,000, no payments, no contracts, without bringing it before the assembly. Chris, Chris, when people, when administrations do things in secret, it shows that they do not value transparency. And if they do not value transparency, then they do not respect what it means to to live in a democracy. Because... It, it says that government serves the people, not the other way around. And 
Secrecy, uh, secrecy is the enemy of of, uh, of transparency, and transparency is a hallmark of democracy. It's very simple. And again, and again, not to not to not to uh, you know not to belabor a point we've belabored for some sixteen months on this podcast. But you know, again, if you know, with this administration, there's always been where there's smoke, there's fire. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, but you know, if it's a dollar here, it's a million dollars there, and that's well, why I, just, guys, I don't I don't trust these people. Smoky. The room is smoky. The, these yeah. guys have been a pinwheel of fuckery. I mean, uh, it is just yeah. it is just unbelievable. All so, right, so let's move. Let's, let, I'm sorry, go ahead. Two things. I will say that my favorite and signature effort that I've accomplished in my first six years on the body was fighting with the clerk to create, with the clerk in partnership with the clerk, to create a portal for public records. Transparency. You can go to this portal and search any term and find actions of the assembly ordinances, resolutions, emergency ordinances back to 75 and even the charter commission records yourself. And now just interesting timing with all of this, the Bosky affair, I had already been working on since early December, late November, an open checkbook law to pair with the state. And it's now introduced, but I leveled up from the state. It's not just the open checkbook, a record of all transactions published but it's open contracts. So all of those contracts will be published to a website. So public doesn't have to request them and then get filibustered for a month to get three documents like the Larry Baker contracts that they should have had in 15 minutes, as the ombudsman said. And so I am working hard for transparency. Maybe the local newspaper can print that on a regular basis (laughs) since they're always desperate for content. Oh, interesting. Maybe we can bring it that. Hey, um, and, and before we move on, I want to I want to touch on uh, I want to circle back to kind of this over you know really the driving force behind this. Uh, this was Amy Dimboski, you know, the former city manager, her firing and, and the allegations, the, the the letter to the assembly and the and the mayor from her attorney Scott Kendall. So you've already started to to, to begin to see the signs of people trying to discredit Amy Dimboski as the messenger. Uh, certainly. You know, look, we have issues with Amy. I honestly believe she should have been fired a year ago, but that's neither here nor there. Here we are. Her allegations really appear to have some some meat on the bone, if you will. Uh, so, you know, Ethan, let me ask you, Amy Domboski is the messenger. What does that sound like? Imperfect messenger. It doesn't discredit the message. And you need to evaluate what she said. And there's you know, there's enough indicate what the lawyers would call indicia of credibility. There's enough indicators that she's telling the truth that it warrants significant investigation. And you know, the fact that you have someone from the inside turning and biting, uh, biting back, there, there, that's a real problem for Bronson. Exactly. All right. Yeah, and, uh, Chris, and, you know, I think, as you said, yes, the messenger might have some issues, but the message, that's what we have to tackle. And, you know, in all of those allegations, there are things that seem to be much more of a personal and personnel nature. Like, I don't really care who's dating whom as long as they figured out the supervisorial chain of command and that's fixed that these issues are not so much. The penis cookies are a little odd and um, in the sense that we actually had an audit report for P card purchases. These are staff credit card purchases that called out baked goods as an inappropriate purchase with a P card. So it very well could be that the penis cookies were purchased by the people in the purchasing department. 
with a P card. With a P card. Not good. (laughs) Not good. And so sexual harassment in the workplace using municipal resources to accomplishment. But it's still lesser of all of the real issues. I think the real issues are the allegations against Larry Baker and the hostile environment for the employee who I feel so bad for and some of the contracting issues that are just really clearly in need. That's why the assembly acted in the way that it did. And that's to, for the next 55 days, ratchet it down, do an analysis and set some new policy benchmarks and boundaries so that they can be successful with the tools that they have or as successful as possible. So, so let me go through a, a couple of kind of open, you know, open questions. Um, first off, let's circle back Golden Line Hotel, uh, you know, much debated over the last year and a half. What's happening with with w- Wicca, the Bronson's donor that set up shop in the Golden Lion to provide a free federal COVID uh, treatment and ended up charging people. What's, what's the update on Wicca and Golden Lion, Chris? Right. So um, we'll take those issues a little bit separately. They are together and we'll start with the Wicca deal. Um, It does smells really bad. And the person who was in charge of the Wicca clinic is a good friend of Joe Drace. They served together in that Alaska state guard, whatever that is. And um, so I think that there are still ongoing complaints by, I know, I don't think, I know there are still ongoing complaints by members of the public who have uh, been receiving um, aggressive billing from the Wicca Corporation for the services that were delivered at that clinic. That clinic space was provided for them for free. I'm told that they even allowed them to use the rooms at the hotel to lodge their staff. So that was happening. Wicca got the treatments from the federal government for free. And now they're aggressively billing people for services that should have been rendered for free. And so because it was all free to them and they were getting paid by the emergency process. Now, um, I have had to refer a number of people who reached out to me who were afraid of the billing practices of the WIC Corporation to the state insurance commissioner. And so I don't know where that stands at this point, but I have been told by some credible sources that there is an investigation ongoing, but nothing yet has been published. I can say that uh, somebody shared with me this week, if you court view um, Joe Gerace, as of, I think it was December 22nd, there is an active fraud case against him by the state of Alaska. And so there is some progress happening there. And I would offer to folks, I am sorry about the time it takes us to do these processes. It's slow when you work in a legislative body. We are just getting to the Joe race debacle, right? And so that was months ago, and it's just taking us time. So the Wicca issue, these issues related to the Naboski allegations, it's all going to take us time. And so I wish we could be as expeditious as a law enforcement agency, but we are not that. We are a legislative body. Well, and it seems to me, Chris, that all of this stuff is coming down so fast. I mean, you know, first off, let's just, you know, let's just go through some of the ones we haven't even touched on. Uh, the questions surrounding fuel management, right? There was a $4 million need, and then you said, no, there's only a $700,000 need. There's, you know, rumors out there about contracting, contractors pulling up to the, to the muni pumps and filling up, you know, all kinds of rumors out there about how money is being siphoned through trucking contracts, which, again, we 
know that McKenna Brothers Trucking has been a huge supporter of Bronson's, had a dozen plus dump trucks on the street the day of the election with his signs. We know they've been a huge contributor not only to his campaign, but to every initiative recall that he's been involved with. These people seem to be making a hell of a lot of money off Mayor Bronson. So certainly, you know, they're making their money back from all those donations. You know, Um, I would like to add, people forget, and I want to make sure we go back to the beginning. And where it began is before Bronson was elected, those trucks and all of those issues that were related. APOC took Mayor Bronson to task before he was mayor candidate Bronson and violated and fined him massively because of the um, subterfuge that his attorneys and his campaign brought before the commission. And so it all started with this exact thing that we're seeing now. There's an old book I love to quote. It's called uh, How You Do Anything is How You Do Everything. So from the beginning to right now, here we are. We're seeing exactly what you could have predicted based on how they won the seat. There's a good friend of ours, Andrew, Reggie Jewell, who taught me the three rules of politics are it doesn't have to make sense no good deed goes unpunished, and and I'm just trying to blank on the third one. What uh, happens when you when you get all this gray hair? So, Chris, I mean, so you've got you know the McKenna brothers trucking all the money being you know filtered out through snow hauling and all of these things the last year and a half. Now you have issues of snowplow money that's being taken from Eagle River and, and road service accounts used to plow the municipality. So you've got an issue there with contracting um, and you've got an issue there with accountability because you could have a situation where Eagle River residents are subsidizing the, the snow removal for Anchorage streets. Yeah, you know, and I, I kind of offhandedly made that as a joke. It's not so much, I don't think, the money because in the end... I don't think they can cross those streams. And that's one of the elements that we added to the emergency ordinances. Any uh, proposed contract they bring for us, now they have to show us in the memorandum the funding source so that we know where they're going to pay for it because they came back and told us, oh, we don't need to tell you that. That's not an important factor according to our procedures. I'm like, really? What they did was they took the actual snow hauling capacity away from Eagle River. So those folks out in Eagle River who want to have their roads cleared, had delays, and it's possible that their money came our way. But um, what I told them on the record there was, I can assure you, should the question come before us, that we need to provide additional funding for snow hauling because this contract was done in this way, they're going to have a really hard time getting to yes. Well, uh, my my final thought, the, quoting Reggie Jewell, was there are no consequences. And that sort of fits in with what's happening here, which is there are no consequences to the state for its failures regarding snowplow and snow removal. I mean, because if you look historically at what happened, the state used to do a much better job. And it is, again, not a reflection on the people who are doing the work. It is a reflection on the fact that the appropriators in Juneau have been cutting the budget for Department of Transportation for 25 years and DOT no longer has the capacity to clear snow uh, along the routes that it owns. It, it definitely doesn't do sidewalks the way it used to. There is no initiative uh, or sustained initiative, so far as I'm aware, from the Bronson administration to take over snowplow responsibility within the boundaries of the municipality, which is something that my administration worked towards. Because if, if you have a consolidated ability to clear snow and the municipality gets compensated for hauling snow on state routes, uh, then you have the capacity to do it. So 
there are no consequences here for the state and there are no consequences here for the ineptitude uh, at, at uh, the Bronson administration. Oh, well, that's not true. There are consequences now. I think what his press release called it was an undue burden is now placed upon him and his administration. And so, but, it, but it's not an undue burden when he invited it. I agree. That's my point, though, is the consequences. They are feeling burdened by having to follow the code. At this point, that's the consequence is they have well, to it, rules. But, but, but the true burden is being borne by the people of Anchorage. Agreed. And, and so let's, let's, um, let's stay on this theme here because there's something happening closer to home. We have uh, assembly elections in April. There are two candidates running in West Anchorage, my district. One is Three. Anna Brawley. I'm sorry, there's three. Okay. So the, you've got, oh, that's right. Okay. Well, so you have Anna, Anna Brawley, Dustin Darden, and uh, Brian Flynn. Now, Brian Flynn is the husband of Rochelle Alger, who is the procurement director for the municipality of Anchorage. She is the center, really the core of all of these allegations regarding contracting and, and, you know, this, that and the other thing. Right. So here is a city employee, a city executive in the Bronson administration, who has been at the center of a lot of these allegations about inappropriately using taxpayer money. And now her husband is running for the assembly in West Anchorage. Now, just to throw this out there, I know he's got his signs up and he's got a a campaign slogan that says, win with Flynn. I won't get into the fact that that's Patrick Flynn's from years ago. His his Heather Flynn. I mean, you're talking about not only not only only did this guy steal a slogan, but I think he needs to change it because you're not going to win with Flynn. You're going to skim with Flynn. There we go. Because we're going to be skimming these contracts, baby. Because you're going to have the wife writing them and the husband voting them on the assembly. I mean, I cannot think of a more incestuous, disturbing combination than having an administration who has, from day one, showed that they cannot be trusted, having their purchasing manager, their purchasing director, have her husband on the assembly in a position of approving these contracts. That, to me, is just mind-numbing. And I think when you see Brian Flynn sign, you should just think to yourself, skim with Flynn, because that's the deal. Well, and I hope Patrick Flynn and Heather Flynn come out and endorse uh, Anna Brawley pretty quickly because there's nothing quite as powerful as Flynn's for Brawley as a way of counter, <laughs> countermanding what he's going on. But, yeah, you, you, it, it, it's – look, uh, it, it is very tough to be the spouse of someone who's in public service. Um, there's no question about it. And um, th- those spouses deserve a lot of credit. But – but there are intense rules at the municipality about conflicts of interest when family members get engaged in, in any kind of business or, or activity um, that could constitute a conflict of interest with the spouse or the family member that has a position already. And frankly, we're into uncharted territory here um, when you have a high-ranking member of the administration uh, – have a spouse who's who's seeking membership on the assembly. Um, it is very nepotistic. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, two more things I want to hit on. Uh, first off, the AEDC luncheon yesterday seems to me going through some of the data and some of the, the surveys and reading the, the press accounts of the luncheon, more of the same. 
right? You look at the top three concern from business owners, it's housing, affordable housing, labor workforce, homeless issues, attracting business to Anchorage. I mean, these are the same needs, wants, shortcomings that we see every year. At, at some point in time, when do we get to the point of overcoming these hurdles? Chris? Yeah, I, I don't even know. I think, um, wasn't wasn't it uh, make Anchorage the best place in America to live, work, and play by 2025? Um, it yeah. seems like we're in exactly the same position as we were back then, and that was some eight years ago. And, you know, you, you can't, of course, blame the EDC. They're in, in some ways the messenger, but the message is almost always the same. And so... Uh, it's it's just hard to put any faith in what value that has because we have to face the realities. And I think the simple reality is we're not going to attract a new modern workforce until we have a place for them to live. We have all of the assets of entertainment and quality of life except for affordable quality housing. You know, <laughs> so, I, I think it's it's far deeper than that. You know, my grandmother, uh, who's European, used to say, "Le plus ça change, le plus le même chose." The more things change, the more they remain the same. And Alaska has a very sad history of not building its own workforce. When we built the pipeline, we had to bring in people from outside. When we talk about doing a gas line, we have to bring workers in from outside. When we built the Denina Center, we had to bring in workers from outside because we, we don't have those skill positions. And the state response in all that time has been to whack the, whack the, the, the budget for the university and in inhibiting our ability to grow our own. We're not developing the technical skills that we need to. We're cutting the, 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 the high school programs that will allow people to go into these, these jobs. So the, when, when the finger pointing begins, you need to look at education as well as housing. You need to look at, at uh, what, what the trajectory is for developing a, a strong workforce. There are a multitude of issues. All the responsibility does not land at the municipality. Uh, much of it is at the state level. And people need to recognize that those two go hand in hand. And historically, I mean, this is something, Chris, that you all should be painfully aware of. Historically, the, the, the state government funded more than half of Anchorage's uh, budget. Um, and now I believe it's one or two percent. You yeah, know? it's a disaster that we've been, you know, everyone says, well, the state will and can do this. They're, that's their responsibility, whether it's snow plowing or capital projects and deferred maintenance. And my response back is like, well, I'm not sure what world you're living in but at this time anchorage has to learn how to and has been learning how to take care of itself there there was a great uh, story i don't know several years ago about you know the one day the alaska economy will evolve to the point where the the chairman of, of the department of revenue hands out uh, will stand on his balcony on permanent fund day throwing out checks to the multitudes and that will constitute the bulk of our our economic our economic development um, that is not a good place for us to be. We we wrote more than $2 billion worth of PFD checks this year. Uncle Sam was the largest beneficiary of that. I would suspect more than $500 million of that $2 billion went, went to Uncle Sam in the form of income tax. And had we used that money for developing uh, uh, our own strengths, then we would be much more self-sufficient than we are, much less beholden to outside interests, and much more capable of charting our own destiny. 
All right, so I'm going to jump in here because I am fairly passionate about this, and I'm going to ask for a long leash from you gentlemen because I got something to say, and by God, I'm going to be heard. All right. Well, it's your First, microphone, my friend. I, 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 want to, I want to circle back, and I want to agree with what Chris said about AEDC. I love AEDC. I love their mission. I love the people. I love Bill Pop. He's, you know, for 16 years, this guy has, 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 has busted his tailbone, you know, trying to make Anchorage a better place, but he can only do, he can only work with what he's given, right? So if he's given a state in a city where we rank last in economic development, last in education, last in public safety, not a hell of a lot you can do. Not a hell of a lot Bill Pop and his staff can go out to do to market Anchorage to the to the country when people are saying, okay, what about your education system? What about your K through 12? What about your university? There's no good response to those questions. Now, 16 years, poor Bill Pop has, has, has been running AEDC. These luncheons are fabulous. They happen twice a year. But every six months, it's the same thing, and the data never changes. First off, you look at what 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 members are saying, right? right? Uh, affordable housing, uh, deal with homelessness, uh, attract more business to Alaska, uh, improve the workforce. Those top five or six have been the top five or six for as long as I've been attending the AEDC luncheon, right? That's not something AEDC or the business community can do. That is a government function addressing homelessness, addressing affordable housing, uh, addressing workforce development. These are what government is supposed to do for the private sector, right? And so every year we go through this machination of, oh my gosh, you know, yeah, things are okay, but they, you know, but yesterday for the first time I heard the word crisis used in this. You know, you combine the, the, the net out migration, you combine the lack of employees. I mean, there are issues here, right? But this is my problem. Because you take the AEDC lunch on Wednesday and you look at all of the needs that not just the city and the state has with regards to the, to, the, to the dearth, to the deficit, to the absolute void of leadership, right? And then you just step back 24 hours earlier to Governor Mike Dunleavy's fifth, fifth state of the state address, okay? And for the fifth year in a row, the most memorable recap of the governor's speech was quote, no specifics were given. Every goddamn year, this guy stands up and sells us full of, you know, rose-colored glasses nonsense, but there's never any specifics. There's never any action, right? I mean, we can talk all day long about education and the importance of increasing the BSA, but if you don't have a governor or a mayor that stands up and says, by God, we need to get to $120 per student, and I'm not leaving Juneau until I get $120 student in the BSA or whatever it is, that's leadership. Just simply throwing something out and saying, yeah, we should look at education funding, and education is important. I mean, he spent more time talking about how he wanted to make Alaska the most pro-life state in the country rather than address the, the, the significant deficits in education, economic development, and public safety. I mean, there is no goddamn leadership. And so when I look at people like Bill Pop, who for years, who for years has, 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 has worked himself to, to grow a city, and when I look, even when I was at the chamber, when I look at what he has to sell, it is so daunting. How how does he he and his staff travel around the, the country and promote people to come and invest in Anchorage or or come and move to, to to Alaska? How do we do that when all of the major indicators, the major categories that make people relocate and make them reevaluate their life and their professional careers, we're failing in all of them, in f-ing all of them? Okay. 
And so when I, you know, when I see these press reports about the AEDC launch, I'm like, it's the same people again and again. And what kills me is when you go through the data every year for the last eight years, one of the biggest things is the members of AEDC or the respondents to the survey say we should cut government spending, like 72%, right? What do we need to do? Oh, we need to cut the budget. Cut the budget. That's why we're in this fucking mess. Okay. Okay, I mean, you, 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 are, you are two bleeps ahead of me at this point. I, I, I'm sorry, and Van's going to have some work cut out for him. But I just I mean, point out for the record that the hothead hasn't cussed yet. But but let me tell you, I mean, I feel like every you know every post AEDC luncheon recap, I feel like you know Mugatu and Zoolander. I mean, am I taking crazy pills? Because it's all the same. And you know these groups that work so hard. I don't care whether you're talking about Visit Anchorage or the Anchorage Chamber of Commerce or Anchorage Economic Development Corporation. They bust their ass day after day, but they can only do what they're given. Their only good is the political leadership that's setting the table for Anchorage or Alaska. Well, and, and nothing's also- being done. Look, there's also the failure to recognize the structural incompatibility of what they're talking about. You want to do all this development and not hire Alaskans to do it, then you get you invite what's known as the Alaska disconnect. Because when you bring up people and we do not generate revenue as a state or a municipality from those people, it costs us money. And that, that puts us even farther in the hole. The other thing is, you know, you know, I heard Governor Dunleavy say he wanted uh, more people here, not less. I think he meant fewer, but that just might be my because my other grandmother was a, you know, an English teacher, but he meant fewer people. And I don't see him doing things to promote in migration, whether it is from migrants from other countries or from other parts of the United States. And so this is the kind of facile vapid rhetoric that has landed us where we are. It sounds good in the moment, but there is no follow through. There and, is and there's no, no specifics. No specifics. I got to tell you, in one way, you're wrong. You said there's, <laughs> what? Nothing, there's nothing being done. I can tell you in Anchorage, they are doing one thing. They are sharing the treasury with their friends. <laughs> that, that's, that's their called, economic development. That's called a kleptocracy. All right. A um, couple of things. I, I, want, I want to wrap up here. Um, in three months, you're going to no, three months and yeah, three months, you're going to have assembly elections in you know, a week or two after the assembly elections. The floodgates are going to open. You're going to start to see mayoral candidates for 2024 you know, start emerging from the shadows. So it's two months. OK, two months. All right. So we're, we're on a shorter leash then. So, Chris, talk to me about this mayor. He's he for the next year. I mean, he is the most vulnerable incumbent in 20 plus years. So what does it look like out there? And what are you hearing with regards to people who are thinking about dipping their toe in to run for mayor? Absolutely. So, you know, uh, Ivan Moore put out a poll last week or showed the results of the poll pinned the um, approval rating for Mr. Bronson at approximately 27 or 28 percent, maybe maybe a little higher, 32 or something really low. And uh, what that has demonstrated is not only has he lost everyone who didn't vote for him, but he's lost half of the people who did vote for him. And so that gets right to the point of your vulnerability assertion there. It's true. And I think that there have been lots of conversations ongoing. But actually, one last thing. Mayor Bronson actually was talking about his next administration recently. And it was one of those really strange moments where I was like, what? This guy is living in an alternative universe. But um, he's, he's got no argument for reelection. What has he done? 
And he's got nothing. nothing. Around I mean, forget, forget, forgetting all the scandals and the corruption and all that is he has not accomplished the things he promised to do. Taxes are higher than they were for reasons beyond his control, but that's also part of the empty promises that people make when they're running. Uh, has a lot to do with the increase in property values and very little to do with what, what he did. But property, but taxes are higher. You know, he beats on crime all the time, but he makes it harder for us to do all the things that are necessary to reduce crime. Homelessness is is an abject failure under his administration. So he's got no argument. Yeah, actually, and, and you'll remember this from 2017 up until last year. We crushed the level of car thefts. We went from 4,200 or something down to like 1,300. And then this year it went up for the first time in five years. And so basically the indicators of crime are actually on the rise under this administration. And um, so back to your main point, though, Andrew, what next? Who's coming up? And I I have been hearing lots of of rumors and reports about people who are interested. But at this time, I haven't heard anybody really commit. And so um, I don't want to name anybody out, you know, and give folks the chance to name themselves but uh, certainly those of us who are involved with the municipal government are looking around and asking what's next because we're all ready for what's next, whether that's in a month or six months or, you know, 15 months. And so uh, it's time. So given this avalanche, just this, you know, consistent avalanche of bad news and allegations flowing out of City Hall, uh, Mayor Bronson has 16 months, let's see, 16, 17 months left in his term. Is there any talk of him resigning? And I know that's kind of a loaded question, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Is there any talk of Mayor Bronson resigning and not filling out his full term? Yeah, I've I've certainly heard those rumors, and um, I I can't imagine he would. But, you know, with where we started, that iconic image of him sitting there pretty much alone on that dais, I just imagine it's really, really hard to proceed you know, who is going to join him on that dice? Who's who's willing to tie their reputation to this floundering administration? You know, no one's going to save them. There is no saving this. Trust is gone. Yeah. And, and I think he's, as you said uh, quite earlier, when you look at his uh, approval ratings and how they have just hit that steep decline since, you know, he was sworn into office. And you think about how vulnerable he is. I, I always... Um, I always think about a cartoon about 20 years ago, you know, George Wirtz was in the last year of his, his mayoral term. Everybody realized that he was vulnerable. He was not going to get reelected. Um, I mean, you had Maestrom and baggage out there, sharks circling in the water. You'll remember this was 2003. Um, and Peter dunlap Scholl, who used to be a, a cartoonist for the Anchorage Daily News, had this, had this funny comment about how at that same time, Frank Murkowski had just gotten elected governor and there were Wirtz's staff all walking out the door because they were going to join the Murkowski administration saying, you know, bye, George, um, you know, because they realized that George was living on borrowed time. And I think Dave's living on borrowed time, too. And if you're looking at joining his administration, you have to face the reality that in another 12, 13 months, you could really be looking for another job because this is not this is not in any way, shape or form a, a candidate who's on a trajectory for reelection. Exactly. You know, and Mayor Wirch lost his election because he crossed the library never mess with the librarians. And this mayor decided to start his administration with the same attack. And all of it's about being anti-gay. No, the gays can't have a good place in the library. We can't talk about that here because children, all this crazy 
rhetoric that was then, and here we are again. And um, this mayor decided that was his first stand he was going to take and brought us Judy Elledge. And finally, finally, 18 months in, he brought a qualified librarian to the library, Virginia McClure. And that's a sea change for us as a body because it's easy to get behind qualified people, even if we don't align with them politically, because we want qualified employees. And so I think that Mayor... Bronson will learn the hard way when he's done looking back that he shouldn't have messed with the librarians because the librarians will take you down every time. I love it. You, you might say the, the odds will be the odds are stacked against you when you take on the librarians. <laughs> yes. And on that note, we will leave it there. Uh, Christopher Constant, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll have you back on in the next week for an update. I can only imagine that, you know, this is one of those things where you think, well, it can't get any worse. And then the next day it's like, well, that was worse. So, Thank you, everybody. And what a, what a conversation we're having as a community. All right. Take care. And there is the music, ladies and gentlemen, and you know what that means. Our time is up. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. Van, have a throw us your website information. Yeah, you can reach me at www.abodabobrand.com. And there is our time, ladies and gentlemen, and we thank you for yours.